0: to Luke chapter 13 Luke chapter 13 As we read our text for this evening in verses 1 through 5 Luke 13 verses 1 through 5 There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices And Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men, That dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you nay. But except you repent. You shall all likewise perish. Let's pray together. Lord our God we thank you. That you have been pleased to grant unto us your holy word. And we pray now that you would draw near. and By the power of your spirit you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to receive your truth. Bless and use your word to sanctify, edify, and build up your church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you this evening, what are the top three books apart from the Bible that God has used in a tremendous way, a most influential way in your spiritual life. You might be thinking, pastor, that's kind of an odd question to start your sermon with. But I have a reason for asking that question because I've been asked to speak to you on the subject of repentance. And without hesitation, I can tell you that the most significant book I have ever read is Thomas Watson's Doctrine of Repentance. It's in your list of recommended reading, suggested reading for your communion preparation. I trust that many of you have it. I hope that many of you have read it. If you haven't read it recently, go home tonight and start over again. This book had a tremendous impact upon me. Tonight, my desire is to consider what the Bible has to say about gospel repentance. Now, that desire immediately creates a problem. Because the Bible has a lot to say about repentance. There are many exhortations that are given to people to repent. There are many examples that the scriptures give of those who got it right and those who got it wrong. And so we're going to be looking at many of those illustrations and those examples this evening. And that is where Watson's book can be especially helpful. For those of you that might be familiar with the book, you know that Watson gives six basic elements of gospel repentance. Gospel repentance must have a sight. Of sin sorrow for sin confession of sin shame for sin hatred for sin and turning from sin now we're going to look more deeply at those elements in just a few moments particularly in the light of what Jesus has to say here In Luke 13. But first I want us to think. Carefully. About what Jesus says here. In these five verses. My friends. His words. Are of paramount. Importance. We can't overestimate. The significance of what he has to say. They set the table for us. As it were. And call us to focus upon several significant elements of this topic of repentance. I want us to think about these words primarily in two ways. I want us to see the significance of gospel repentance. And then I want us to see how Satan desperately labors to prevent us. To lure us away from that gospel repentance, because he knows the devastating effect it will have upon us if we neglect it. Well, first of all, let's look at the significance of gospel repentance. You know, we really don't need to spend a great deal of time here because the words of Jesus are sharp, they are clear. They are decisive and they are straight to the point. There's there's no dilly-dallying around here. Now, Luke doesn't tell us who is speaking. He simply says that there were some present then who came and told Jesus about the Galileans. Apparently, a group of these these Jewish people had gathered to offer sacrifices, and Pilate came in and slaughtered them, mixing their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. Now, Jesus takes this opportunity to speak to these people directly about their own hearts. And my friends, by definition, he's speaking to you about your hearts, about your needs. There's no ambiguity here. Jesus says, if you don't repent, you will perish. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty stinging. To our own consciences. If you don't repent. You will perish. As I thought about these words. It reminded me of the words of Moses. In Deuteronomy 30. And verse 18. Where Moses says. I set before you today. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Choose life. That's God's plea. It has been God's plea for a thousand generations. It is exactly what Jesus is saying. There is a way to life and there is a way to death. Choose life. That's what he wants us to do. And how do we do that? It must be through this Idea Through this issue of repentance, there is no way to overemphasize the importance of this issue. Repentance has always been fundamental to the preaching of God's servants. In the Old Testament throughout, prophet after prophet after prophet calls the people to repent. It was fundamental to the preaching of John the Baptist when he came. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It was fundamental to the preaching and teaching of the Lord Jesus, as we see here. It was fundamental in the apostles' preaching. Peter on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what must we do? The first thing he says, repent and be baptized was fundamental to the apostle paul how many of his epistles deal with this issue how many of his sermons that we have in the book of acts deal with this issue some of which we will look at in just a few moments my friends the bottom line is this there is almost nothing that we could talk about tonight more important than this almost nothing Maybe the doctrine of salvation would come close. But here, what we see is this this fundamental teaching and preaching. It is critical that you and I understand what God means when he says, unless you repent, you will perish. Young people, listen. Listen. There is absolutely nothing that is more important than this to you tonight. That you understand the significance and the role of repentance in coming to faith and staying in the faith with Christ. Well, secondly, I want us to see the danger of counterfeit repentance because because this doctrine is so important to your coming to Christ and staying with Christ Satan is constantly working laboring striving to distort and distract you from true gospel repentance he does not want us tonight to see what the bible has to say about it and here he does not want us to realize what happens if we neglect it look and notice that jesus As he often does in his interchanges with people, unlike your pastor or me or any other minister of the word of God, Jesus knew what his people there were thinking. He knew their thoughts. And so he asked this question, do you suppose, do you think that because these people, these Galileans suffered so, That Pilate came and and murdered them? Do you think that because of that, they were worse sinners than anyone else? Or, Jesus brings in a second example of the 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam in Jerusalem fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners Than anyone else? Is that why they suffered these things? That is what Jesus asked them. That they needed to repent. Now my friends, listen. Listen closely. Because one of Satan's most effective tools. Is to distract you. From the condition of your own heart. And cause you to be looking at other people and thinking about their need to repent. About their sins. If they would just turn. If they would just take God's word seriously. He wants to divert your attention from your own sin to the sin of others. Perhaps you are familiar with what Jesus had to say just a few chapters earlier in Luke 6 and verse 42 when he says, How easy it is for us to see the speck, the little speck in our brother's eye and yet not see the log, the beam in our own eye. What Jesus does is turn this situation upside down. He's saying, you're thinking these people are worse sinners. They needed to repent. And Jesus says, don't worry about other people. Worry about your own hearts. Worry about your own sins, your own need to turn, your own life. My friends, has Satan distracted you? Are you thinking about the sins of your neighbor? Or maybe the sins of your spouse? Or the sins of your children? Or the sins of your parents? Jesus says, unless you repent, don't worry about other people. Now, I'm not saying don't be concerned about people. Don't have christian brotherly affection that's willing to go and confront a brother with his sin but right now what jesus would have us concentrate on is our own hearts and our own needs and jesus says don't let satan turn your gaze away from the need of repentance in your own life watson Identifies three other ways in which Satan seeks to steer us away from true gospel repentance. Let me just mention them quickly. They're not here in our text, but this is helpful. Number one, repentance. What do you think repentance is? Repentance is not just feeling bad. Because of your sin. My friends. Judas. Felt bad. When he betrayed Christ. And he got home. And he started thinking about it. He brought his money back. And threw it down at the feet of the money changers. But that feeling bad. Did not draw him close to the Lord. For forgiveness. It did not increase his faith. To serve God. Instead it led to despair. And he went out and took his own life. Esau. We are told in Hebrews. Sought repentance with tears. But he did not find it. The problem was not that that God didn't listen. The problem is Esau felt bad. Not because of his sin. But because he lost his inheritance. And that's what he wanted more than anything else. Repentance is not just feeling bad. I think one of the most helpful things we learned from Jay Adams in our counseling classes at, at seminary was Jay Adams would say, do you know why so many people feel guilty? Because they are guilty. Guilty. People feel bad because they know what they're doing is wrong and they're not right with God. But feeling bad does not bring them to faith in Christ. Secondly, Watson says repentance is not just promising not to do it again. How many times when... I know it's happened with me. Perhaps it's happened with you. How many times have you been in in some trial or or severe sickness or affliction and you cry out to God, God, get me out of this situation. Deliver me from this situation. And I promise I will do this or not do that. Do you know what happens, my friends? Circumstances change. And when the trial is over, when we're out of the trouble, oftentimes we forget what we promised. Promises change. Thirdly, Watson says repentance is not just forsaking some sin. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to stop doing that. But as he points out, sometimes people forsake one sin... And then start practicing another. Sometimes they exchange one sin for another. Sometimes they stop doing it for other reasons. So the doctor says, you keep doing this. You're going to die. And people say, well, I don't want to die. So I'll quit that particular sin. But that's not repentance. That's not gospel repentance. Let's turn our attention for the remainder of our time now to what is gospel repentance. Listen to Watson's definition. Repentance is a gift of God's spirit whereby the sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Watson lived in the mid 17th century. What else was going on in the middle of the 17th century? Like 1643 Westminster Assembly, shorter catechism put together by the Scottish Presbyterians Watson was front and center in that day. And so it's not unusual for us to to hear these words. Repentance is the gift of God's spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. There's a little more full-blown version of that in question 87. What is repentance? Repentance. Unto life. This is what the shorter catechism says. Repentance unto life. Is a saving grace. Whereby a sinner. Out of a true sense of his sin. And apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Does with grief and hatred of his sin. Turn from it. Unto God. With full purpose of. And endeavor after new obedience. Both of these definitions, one fuller than the other, but both of them, the key thing perhaps for us to grasp tonight is that repentance, listen, repentance is a gift from God. He does not owe it to you. It's not by definition part of our existence. It is a gift. It is a work of God's Spirit. It is not something you can do in your own strength or because of your own resolve. You can't do it. Repentance is God's gift. You can try harder. That's not repentance. Repentance is the work of God's Spirit. We are utterly dependent upon God for that repentance. Listen to the way that Peter speaks of repentance in Acts chapter 5 as he's preaching to the council. And this is what he says when he speaks of Christ being raised up from the dead. And then he says in verse 31 of Acts 5, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Paul makes a similar statement in 2 Timothy chapter 2 about bringing God, bringing men to repentance. The point is, brothers and sisters, we are absolutely, utterly, totally dependent upon God for this gift and for this work of the Spirit in us. Well, let's look more closely at these six essential elements. Sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, shame for sin, hatred of sin and turning from sin. I want you to understand these are not helpful hints of how to live a Christian life. These are not suggestions. These are absolutely essential elements of the Christian life, of biblical gospel repentance, If you leave one of these elements out of your repentance, you don't have gospel repentance. I was thinking about this this afternoon. I've never made a cake, but I've seen my wife take all the ingredients out and put them on the counter. She's got flour. She's got eggs. She's got oil. She's got salt. She's got baking powder. If you decide, oh, I don't. I don't need the flour. not going to have a very good cake. Leave out the eggs. Leave out the oil. Leave out one ingredient. It's not going to be useful. And the same is true of gospel repentance. First thing. Gospel repentance must include a sight of sin. Now what do we mean by that? What we mean is seeing sin the way God sees it. The way the Bible speaks of it. And so Paul in Romans 7 and verse 13 talks about how sin was made to appear exceedingly sinful. Exceedingly sinful. How? How? By the commandment, by the law of God. It was the word of God that made sin look horrible, that made it look exceedingly sinful to the apostle. Brethren, one of the greatest problems in the church today is that men do not see their sin. The way God sees it. They don't look at it as being exceedingly sinful. So they speak of it as uh, it's just part of our weakness, you know. Nobody's perfect. It's, it's just common to the human experience, right? I mean, everybody fails. Everybody falters. And so they excuse it. And they don't regard it as that difficult or a problem. You'll hear people say, well, I just couldn't help myself. It just, it just the temptation was too great. I don't think it's in, in Watson's book on repentance, but elsewhere he says men usually don't fall into temptation. They usually run And jump into his arms. We need to see sin the way God sees it. We have a very different picture in the Gospels, so you think about one of Jesus' most uh, common and well-known parables of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Verses 17 and 18. What happens when the prodigal son, after his sin and rebellion against his father and his wild and and adulterous living, he comes to himself and he goes to his father. And what happens when he goes? He is humbled deeply. And he acknowledges his sin. And he says, I I don't deserve anything. Just make me like one of your servants. Make me like one of the slaves. He is expecting nothing. But he just knows that he has broken the Father's will. And broken the Father's heart. My friends, the starting point. For gospel repentance is a sight of sin. Understanding what God thinks of sin. Again, if we think of the shorter catechism, what is sin? Sin is it a want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God? Dr. Smith used to tell us, picture a straight line. That's the law of God. To transgress that law is to go contrary across it. To transgress the law. But that's not all the confession tells us. It says any want of conformity. So when you try to follow the law and you veer to the left and then you veer to the right. You're failing. You're not sinning in the sense that you're doing something wicked. But you're not keeping the law of God perfectly. It's a a want of our lack of conformity to that perfect law. And remember what James says. You sin in one point, you miss it just by one detail, you're guilty of all. So here is the way the confession speaks of sin. This is the way the gospel speaks of sin. And God says the wages of sin is death. You know what we deserve? As prodigals, death. How great the mercy of God in Christ to offer us forgiveness of those sins. But let's continue. Gospel repentance is in, must include sorrow for sin. Scripture provides numerous examples of this particular element. Let me just mention three briefly. The one we read about earlier and the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7 is the sinful woman who comes into the house of the Pharisee. Now here is this sinful woman. Commentators are agreed that this is most likely a prostitute. This is a woman who has lived in open, willful, blatant violation of God's holy laws. She is the type of person that most of us, in most circumstances, would not even want to speak to. And yet this sinful woman hears that Jesus is eating at the house of the Pharisee. I know that brings up a lot of questions. How does she just waltz in and come up by the Lord Jesus Christ? And all I can do is tell you to think about the gardens in Charleston. If the gate is open, you're welcome to come in. And many of these these rich people's houses had large courtyards where they would draw a table and there they would have a feast. And if the gate was open, you could walk right in. And that's probably what happens here. This woman walks in. Jesus is sitting at the table on the ground. His feet stretched out behind him. And she comes. And she kneels down. And she begins to weep, not just a trickle, not just a tear or two. She's weeping profusely, so much so that Jesus speaks of her washing his feet with her tears. Why? This was not just some outward show for people to see. My friends, the point is this woman's heart was broken. Broken because of her sinful life. And she's coming to Jesus and and looking to him for help and for grace and for mercy. She's weeping. Let me ask you. You've been fasting today. Preparing for your communion season. Have you ever wept, I mean wept, because of your sin? That's what this woman is doing. She's weeping. Sorrow fills her soul. And that's not an isolated incident. Think of the tax collector. Another parable that Jesus gives, the the Pharisee and the tax collector go up into the temple to pray. The tax collector is is very highly thinking of himself. You know, I'm I'm not like those Galileans. I'm not like those Jews that the tower fell upon. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty good when it comes down to it. I'm not like other men. I don't do this and that and the other. What about the tax collector? The tax collector is inwardly and deeply humbled. He feels the weight of his sinfulness. Do you know what that's like? Feel the physical effects of sin. David says, My bones grew old. Your hand was heavy upon me. The tax collector is is deeply humbled and he cries out to God. He won't so much as lift his eyes to heaven. He cries out to God God be merciful to me, a sinner in hope of mercy from God. Think thirdly about King David. It's probably one of the the most enigmatic things in all of Scripture. The man after God's own heart commits adultery, then commits murder. And then he spends eight and a half months hiding his sin, refusing to acknowledge that sin, concealing it from everyone. All the while, he's going to the temple, to the tabernacle, he's offering sacrifices to God. He's praying to God. He's going through all emotions, But it's all external. And then Nathan comes. And he says, you are the man. And then David writes Psalm 51 and verse 17. And he says, the sacrifices God is looking for broken and contrite heart sorrow sorrow deep feeling sorrow because of his sin against god ladies and gentlemen here are three vivid examples of gospel repentance of godly sorrow that produces as paul says in second corinthians 7 And verse 10, it produces spiritual fruit, the spiritual fruit of repentance. Listen, if your sorrow does not lead you to Christ, it's not gospel repentance. If this is something you think you can fix, it's not gospel repentance. Our sorrow will drive us to Christ. Because he is our only hope for cleansing and for forgiveness and for grace to live a holy life. Gospel repentance will produce sorrow. Sorrow that leads us to Christ. Watson says that weeping is not good that blinds the eye of faith. It's not just about sorrow. It's sorrow that takes us to God for mercy. Thirdly, gospel repentance must include confession of sin. I would expect that practically everyone in this room knows the glorious promise of 1 John nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what exactly does the apostle mean by confessing? It is not merely acknowledging that we've done wrong. And Watson gives us four things, I think, help us to understand what true confession is. He says true confession must be voluntary, not forced. Not under threat of of judgment that we, we, we repent. Don't be like Achan that had to be examined, that had to be uncovered to point out his sin. Don't be like Rachel when she stole her father's idols and he comes into the tent to confront her. And she pretends they're not there. She hides it. Don't hide your sin. Young people, listen, this is something extremely important for you. And life, your Christian life will go a whole lot easier if you will learn this lesson and learn it early. When you sin, confess it to God quickly and voluntarily. Go to God and confess freely what has happened. Watson says, some men would rather have their sin covered than cured. Don't try to hide it. Learn to be honest with God. And when you go to him, confess it freely and quickly. Secondly, confession must be specific. And let me just make reference again to the confession of faith in chapter 15 and paragraph 5. Where it says that men are to repent of particular sins. Name them. Don't just say, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. Name them. Be specific. Be particular. And repent of those particular sins. Particularly. Thirdly, confession must be complete. Not just. One sin, not just the worst sins, every sin. I'll never forget one of the most useful things that I read in A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. When he says, take some time at the close of every day. And ask the Spirit of God to walk you through that day, every conversation, every visit, every interaction with people, every moment in silence or private. And ask Him to show you if there's anything, any word, any thought, any deed, any desire that was displeasing to the Lord. Be specific. Be complete. That's what the psalmist does in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. And know my thoughts. Examine me. Put me to the test. See, is there any wicked way in me? True gospel repentance has a confession that is complete. Fourthly, confession must be God-honoring. Nehemiah, when he confesses this and that and the other sin that the people are guilty of, he says, and you are just, O God, in everything that has come upon us. Honor God. Don't excuse it. Don't whine about it. Acknowledge that God's justice would be right if he destroyed us. How amazing then when Paul says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. My friends, you and I can sit here tonight because he who knew no sin was made sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We can acknowledge God is just, but glory in his mercy in Christ. Fourth, gospel repentance must include shame. Of all the things that we can say about gospel repentance, here my friends is something that has all but vanished from the evangelical church. Men no longer are ashamed Of their sin that is not the case with the word of God it's not a case with the saints of God Daniel and Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 of verses 7 and 8 Daniel prays we've done this our 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 judges our princes our rulers the people have all transgressed your law we've not commit your commandments we we've not listened to your prophets he lists the sins and then he says to you O God belongs righteousness but to us shame a face Are you ashamed of your sin Daniel was ashamed Job was ashamed He comes in chapter 40 as God rebukes him and begins to dress him down and Job comes and says, I, I've said things that I should not have said. And he confesses his sin. He says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm not saying anymore. And in chapter 42 in verse 6, he says, I abhor myself in dust and ashes. He was ashamed of what he had said about God. And God's treatment of him. Confession. And sorrow. And shame. Fifthly. Gospel repentance includes. Hatred. (laughs) We really need to take some time here. But we're not going to be able. My friends that is a strong. Harsh word. Is it not? hatred gospel repentance demands hatred of sin it might be harsh it might be strong but it's not inconsistent with faith paul as he reflects upon the struggle within the war within he says the things that i want to do i don't do and the things that I don't want to do, that I do, I hate that. And then we have these the striking words that we have back in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36. Perhaps when you think of Ezekiel 36, you think of those glorious new covenant promises. That I will take away your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll give you a new heart and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk according to my ways. You know what one of the signs of the new heart is? In verse 26, he says, I'll give you a new heart. In verse 31, he says, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe. Yourselves. That's a pretty strong word. You will loathe. It's hatred. The psalmist. In Psalm 97 verse 10. You love the Lord. Hate evil. Hatred. Is a companion of love. You love the Lord. You need to hate evil. And then in Psalm 119, 104. The psalmist says, I hate, I hate every evil way. Edward Reynolds makes a staggering statement when he says, hatred is a murdering, stabbing affection that pursues sin with a hot hatred. I can't help but think of the, the avenger of blood. Pursuing the man who's fleeing to the city of refuge. And if he can catch him. He will kill him. And he's pursuing with all of his might. He's not strolling along saying well maybe I'll catch up. He's pursuing. With a hot hatred. And that's the way brothers and sisters we need to think of sin we hate it and we want to kill it it's why john owen says be killing sin or sin will be killing you gospel repentance demands hatred lastly gospel repentance must include turning from sin listen closely to the words of ezekiel 18 or chapter 33 let's go to 33 chapter 33 and verse 11. god comes to the people of israel who are sinful and this is what he says as i live says the lord god i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? Turn. Do you see it? I set before you life and death. You keep going on with your sin and you will die. Unless you repent, you will perish. But why will you die? Sinner, why will you die? Turn. God pleads with you, God implores you. Turn. That's what He calls us to do. Remember that definition that repentance is a work of grace by the spirit in the heart we might look at all these elements and say what how can i possibly do that you can't you can't but god by his spirit can and you know what jesus tells us at the end of his instruction about the lord's prayer in luke 11 God gives the Spirit to those who ask Him. My friends, do you want this work of the Spirit in your heart? that will enable you to repent in a gospel sense of the word. To see your sin. To be sorry for your sin. To confess your sin. To be ashamed of your sin. To hate your sin. And to turn from your sin. There's only one way you can do that. And that is through Christ by the power of the Spirit. You want that? Ask Him. Ask Him. And He will give it to you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, come this night like the publican, like the tax collector, unworthy. We do not deserve anything from you. We weep, we cry. Oh, God, be merciful to us, poor, broken, weak, frail sinners. And do it, Lord, not for our sake but for the glory of the name of Christ. And may he be praised. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.